Hi guys, uh, Pastor Greg Corcoran here from Battlefield Baptist Church. Uh, pray that this sermon is a blessing, an encouragement, and a challenge to you in your walk with the Lord. Additionally, I just wanted to say that if we here at Battlefield can ever be a blessing to you, please don't hesitate to contact us. And the best way to do that is through our website at battlefieldbaptist.org. Again, I pray this sermon blesses you, encourages you, and uh, that you'll fall more in love with God, more in love with his word, and more in love with people. Well, what a wonderful treat that was, amen? I wish he'd learn how to play the piano. <laughs> if you have your Bible, turn with me to Psalm 23. It's so good to see each and every one of you this morning as... Uh, we gather for worship and um, so very, very delighted to have Brian and Sandy with us as uh, they prepare to make their way back to Nicaragua. And uh, thank you, Sandy, for speaking to the ladies last night. I know it was a treat for all those who were able to be there and uh, not only a treat, but an encouragement biblically to our women. And so I'm very thankful for that. And uh, for the young people who went with us on Thursday, it was a joy for me to be able to go. And uh, parents, I just want to say something. We went Thursday and there was a group of 17 people. 17 people. And not once, not once did we have any teenager or adult for that matter bicker, gripe, or complain about anything. Amen. Which in 2023 is a modern miracle. So, anyway, it was good. Uh, I did not, just in case you're wondering, I did not ride all, all of the roller coasters, but I did ride some. <laughs> and so, uh, I was not a glutton like some of the other ones that went. But uh, anyway, Psalm 23, let's get into our word. I want to encourage you to be in prayer for a number of our families, uh, certainly who have lost loved ones and friends and certainly the Trones are just back from a service, and certainly we see Art and Janice over here. Art, you know we're praying for you with the loss of your father, and certainly arrangements going on there. And I know Ernie and Kathy uh, had a dear friend and, uh, of the family pass away recently, and so on and on it goes. Continue to keep one another in prayer, uh, and I know the Lord will bless you for doing that. Let's look together in Psalm 23. Beginning in verse number one, the Bible says, the Lord is my shepherd. And notice what he says. David says, the Lord is my shepherd. And then he finishes the statement by saying, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. And then he concludes this way by saying, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the wonderful truths that we find in your word. And Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that we have had already to sing praises and to sing songs of exaltation unto you and to, to come before your throne realizing that any battle that we face belongs to you because you have all authority in heaven and in earth. And one word from you as we sang about changes everything and so father we thank you for the truth of your word we thank you for the living hope that we have in jesus christ and father we thank you for brian and sandy and their faithfulness and their desire to go to the country and the people of nicaragua and lord what you have done over these past many years lord i pray that you'll be with them that you'll protect them that you'll lead god and direct and god that we'll continue to hear of your working in that country. Lord, I pray that above all that you would now remove any distraction, that you would allow us to focus in on what you have to say. Lord, that you would open up 
our, the, the eyes of our understanding that your word might fall upon the good soil of our heart. And Lord, that you might have your will and your way in this time. And Lord, I pray for the one who has strayed or even the one who has never called upon the name of the Lord, that you through the preaching and teaching of your word and the wooing of the Holy Spirit would draw them unto yourself where they might find forgiveness and restoration as your word talks about. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we look forward to what you're going to do. For it's in the precious and powerful name of your son, Jesus, we pray. And for his sake, amen. Well, again, thank you so much for being here. We're continuing our series. If you haven't been here over the past couple of weeks, we're continuing our series of Psalm 23. And in the first uh, message, we were reminded of one of the greatest blessings one of the greatest blessings in reality of this most recognized and beloved psalm, Psalm 23, is the fact that the shepherd owns us. Have you understood that? The greatest, one of the greatest blessings is that the shepherd owns us. Because here's the thing, David said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. When the shepherd owns you, man, life is good. When he owns you, you don't have to want for anything because it's all in his hands. It's all under his control. And so it's a beautiful thing to be owned by the shepherd because anything or anything that I would ever want or need, and by the way, I probably ought to take back want because we got our hearts desperately wicked, right? And sometimes we want some things that we really shouldn't want. But you know what? He provides us with what we need. Right on time, whenever we need it. Why? Because he is in control. He owns us. It may sound strange, but it's a wonderful thing to be owned. It's a wonderful thing to be owned by the Lord God, Jehovah, the one who created the world, the one who sustains the world, the one who, if you please, owns everything. All of us who have been bought with a price, all of us who have been born again into the holy flock of God. It's a beautiful thing to be owned. And then last week, we discovered a few of the things that happen. See, when the shepherd owns us, then we start seeing what the shepherd does for his sheep. And last week we learned that one of the things he does for us is he leads us. David said, he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. And then you get to the end of verse number three. Notice he says that he leadeth me in the paths of righteousness. And we learned at the end of the lesson that the reason he does this, the reason that he makes us rest, he leads us into rest, he leads us into refreshment, he leads us into righteousness. And we learned last week that the reason he does this is for his name's sake. His name is at stake. And before you think it's all about you, before I think it's all about me, the shepherd says, no, it's all about my namesake. My name, my name must go into all the world and be recognized. And so today we continue our study. Look with me. We're going to look in verse number three. And we looked at the end of verse number three, but today we're going to look at the beginning and you see what David says. Here it is, if you're a note taker. We're continuing. The shepherd owns his sheep. Last week, the shepherd leads his sheep. Today, we're going to look at the shepherd restores his sheep. Look, David said, he restoreth my soul. And that word restoreth comes from the Hebrew word shuv. And it literally means to turn back or to return to its starting point. Let me ask, anybody ever need to go back to... Where you started from? Anybody ever gotten off track? Have you ever run a race? Where are my track aficionados? I don't run that much anymore, but anybody run track here? I know we have some young people that do. Mm, nobody runs here. Mm. Did we have some? Did we have some? Track, yes. You know what happens? Let me ask you, 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 you track aficionados, when you're, when you're lined up ready to start, if... If you take off before they sound the gun, what happens? You have to go back, right? Sometimes we get ahead of God, don't we? Hello? Sometimes we disobey God. And sometimes, let's just be honest, the circumstances of life tear us down. And we need God to restore us. 
We need Him. Notice it says we need Him to turn us back, to return us to the starting point. And much like, if you look at verse number 2, much like the words maketh in verse 2 and leadeth in verse 2, and even the word leadeth in verse number 3, this word restores is given to us in the present tense, which literally means... He is restoring. He's restored. It's not something that happened in the past once and it's done. Yes, it happened in the past, but like David says, guess what? It's probably going to happen maybe even today or tomorrow because we need to be restored. But here's the thing as I started thinking about this, if the shepherd leads us, think about this with me, if the shepherd leads us into rest and refreshment and he leads us into righteousness, then why... And we said last week that he leads us on the right path. That's what it means to be led into righteousness. We have the righteousness of Christ, but now we're called to live a life of righteousness. If he leads us into rest and he leads us into refreshment and he leads us into righteousness, why on earth would we ever need him to restore us? Well, it's pretty simple. Because you see, although the shepherd leads us on the right path, the reality is you and I tend to go astray. Maybe you recall the lyrics of that great old song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And those, the lyrics of that song say and remind us that we are prone to wander. We are prone to leave the God that we love. And so when we do this, we need the Lord's assistance. See, many times we prone, we're prone to wander. We're prone to leave the God our, that we love. And we, not, we don't understand. We don't have a clue how to get back to where we need to get back to. And then in some other cases, we just need the shepherd of our soul to rescue us from danger. You know, a lot of times, I, I say all the time, we make choices and choices make us. We make a lot of dangerous choices, don't we? We put ourselves on the throne many times and the Lord has to rescue us. I was thinking about in the Old Testament when God's people were in the wilderness, we realized that God led his children. He made himself, watch this, he made himself visibly present with his children. You say, how did he do this? Well, he used a pillar of cloud, right? He used a pillar of cloud during the day and he used a pillar of fire at night. And all the children of Israel had to do was follow. It was like a teacher leading her class to the lunchroom. All they had to, I'm looking down here, Daniel. All they have to do is follow the leader. And yet even that can be precarious sometimes, can it? You see, history and scripture reveal that the children of Israel didn't do a good job. And you remember last week I said, not only did they not do a good job, they murmured, they complained, they grumbled, and, and they were uh, uh, grumbly hateful towards Moses and Aaron time and time again. And remember I said, they even wanted to go back to Egypt, back to the slavery, even though they were on the cusp of the promised land. Oh yes, the shepherd leads his flock, he leads his sheep, but there are many times when you and I resist and we fail to follow. Now if I was to ask, if you're a believer here, say amen. amen. If I was to ask every believer here, do you love the Lord? Everyone would say? Amen. But there's also no doubt that if I asked everyone here if there had been times where you have wandered, Times where your obedience has wavered. Times where your faith has been weakened. I would dare say the answer would be yes. Which is why we ought to celebrate the first part of verse number three. Because David said, he restoreth. He restoreth my soul. David knew a little bit about it. He said, he restored my soul. So we ought to, we ought to celebrate this. And, and what are the ways that the Lord restores our souls? Here's a couple of things for us to think about. He, he retrieves us when we wander, and he also revives us when we waver. Now, that, we're going to get into it here in just a second, but you say, how does he restore us? He, he retrieves us. You know, the 99 and the 1 before salvation and even after salvation. The good shepherd goes after the one who wanders. And so he, he retrieves us when we wander, but he also revives us when we waver. Notice David said, he restoreth my soul. It's pretty similar to what Isaiah said in Isaiah 53, 6. He said, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. 
And the Lord has laid on him, speaking of Jesus Christ, the iniquity of us all. To be honest, if you're a believer here today, you wander. You're like, man, did I come here for this? I don't have to take this. I'm going to leave. I'm going to go somewhere where nobody tells me I wander. It ain't going to change it one bit. You still wander. (laughs) You know, the Bible says faithful are the wounds of a friend. I'm not trying to hate or be angry. I'm right there with you. We all wander. Believers wander. This is the reality. Sheep who have been bought and born again into the holy flock of God wander away. And at times we need to be lassoed. At times we need to be round up and brought back. And the reason why we who are in Christ are prone to wander can be summed up in a word. And it's amazing what the Lord does. Because Spain, as he was preaching class a little while ago, he, by the way, if you've never been to Spain's class, he preaches. And I love it. We can sum up the reason we're prone to wander with one word, can't we, Brother Spain? He referenced it in the class earlier. It's called flesh. And the last time I checked, we're all covered with this stuff called flesh. And while the Spirit of God has given us new life in Christ, amen? We have new life in Christ. But the reality is we have this new life and it's been given to us and we live this new life in Christ in the flesh. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul said in Galatians chapter 2 and verse number 20. He said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life I now live, watch it, put a circle around it, whatever. He says, in the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Like Paul, we live by faith of the Son of God, but also like Paul, we live it in the flesh. And you know, Paul struggled a time or two. As Brother Spain brought out in his lesson today, we were talking about goodness and understanding that there's nothing good inside of us. We must get our goodness from God. Paul had a problem doing what was right. And here's the reality. God's saving work has begun in each and every one of us who are believers, who have been bought, who have been born again into this flock of God. But it is not yet complete. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, Brother Brian, we can be confident. I know this is your verse. We can be confident that uh, this very thing, that he which has begun a good work in us will perform it under the day of Jesus Christ. But this journey... This journey of life that we are living has a twofold experience. We live it by faith, and we live it in the flesh. And that's where we struggle many times. And we're not alone. As I said a moment ago, David had this problem. Guys, Scripture reminds us that David was a man after God's own heart. So David had a heart for God. He loved God. And he loved God's law. But David also had a heart that wandered from the God he loved. Just like the lyrics of that song. And he had a heart that wandered and drew him away into self-destructive decisions and actions. Let me ask a question. Am I the only one in this room or watching online who has ever made a self-destructive decision? Somebody say, I did it too. I did it too. too. (laughs) David, listen, sometimes we read these passages of Scripture and we're like, man, these these people. And if we're not careful, we we elevate these people in Scripture to a position they ought not to have. The only one who needs to have a position of superiority in our life is Jesus. Right? If we're going to glory in something, Galatians tells us to glory in the cross of Christ. Let's stop glorying in in David or Paul or Elijah or any one of these other ones that we find in Scripture. The reality is the only one worthy of our praise, the only one who is worthy to be exalted is Jesus. And David had these self-destructive decisions taking place in his life. In fact, James 1.14 cautions you and I about being drawn away and enticed of our own lusts. 
Oh, if, we're, if it were not for the truth of verse number three, in which God teaches us that the shepherd will restore our soul, the self-destructive sins of David, and quite frankly, the self-destructive decisions of you and I would be the end. Like an old classic movie that shows up at the end. The end, period. But God. Man, I love that. But God, who is rich in mercy. What a wonderful Savior we serve. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. You say, where are we going now? You're like, Revelation chapter 2. Because here in God's Word, I think we find an illustration in Jesus' dictated letter to the church at Ephesus of what I believe it may look like. Now, this isn't how it always happens, but what it may look like when the shepherd retrieves us. When the shepherd who restores our soul, when we wander, he retrieves us. And so we might have a picture of what we see here. Look with me. Maybe it'll be helpful for us. Look at verse number 2, Revelation chapter 2. Jesus says, I know thy works. Watch it. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience. In other words, Jesus says, I realize you people are hardworking people. Amen? Hey, Northern Virginia, are you hardworking people? You feel like you're burning the candle at both ends time or two? Jesus says this. He says, I know thy works, thy labor, and thy patience. I know you're a patient people. I know you're a hardworking people. And then he goes on. He says, and how thou canst bear them that are evil. He says, listen, you can't even stand those that are evil. You are people of integrity. And I want to commend you for being people of integrity. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not and hast found them liars. Not only are you hardworking, not only are you patient, not only are you uh, uh, people of integrity, but you are loyal people. You actually try these jokers who said they're apostles. They're not apostles and you found them to be a liar. And so everything seems good. Look at verse number three. Because in verse number three, it goes on. Jesus reveals that these people are also loyal. And notice he says, and hast borne and hast patience and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. You remember last week we said that the reason Jesus uh, leads us to rest and to refreshment and righteousness, at the end of verse number uh, 3, he says, And I do this for my name's sake. He's commending the church at Ephesus for doing these things for his name's sake. And so a lot of things are going good. Look at verse number four. These believers are hardworking and upright and discerning and on and on, which these are all great things. But in verse number four, he says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy, what? First love. This simple illustration should serve as a caution. Should serve as a caution to us. Because you see, it's possible. It's possible to, be, to it's possible to be all of these things. It's possible to be possible to be hardworking. It's possible to be an upright person. It's possible to be a patient person. It's possible to be loyal to the Lord, and yet it's also to possible to be all these things, and yet still be just like the church at Ephesus who had left their first love. Well, listen, when this happens. Because, remember scripture is using the illustration of sheep. Because we're not very smart. That's not a condemnation, that's just reality. Because we're not smart, we need the shepherd to intervene. We need a shepherd who owns us, a shepherd who leads us. We need that same shepherd to restore us when we make self-destructive decisions. And thankfully, David declared that it was the good shepherd who restored his soul. How does he do it? The good shepherd here in this passage, he, he set about to restore. His, his, his dictated letter to this church set about to restore these believers in Ephesus by reminding them of what they had lost. Maybe you're here this morning and this simple illustration is reminding you right now what may have been lost in your life. Notice, notice in verse number five, notice what Jesus says. 
He gives them a prescription. He says, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen. Listen, in other words, it's time for an honest evaluation, church. Anybody, anybody awake with me this morning? It's time for an honest evaluation. If, if you are today something very different than you were on the day of salvation, there's a problem. If you're no longer excited about Jesus of Nazareth, there's a problem. If you're no longer telling people about Jesus, the good shepherd, the great shepherd, the chief shepherd of your soul, there's a problem. That's what David says. He restoreth my soul. And in telling these people in Revelation to remember, Jesus is pointing out to them simply that they were not what they once were. They had wandered. They had wavered in the most important area of their faith, their love for him. And if this is the case in our life today, if this is the case in your life, whether you're here or watching online, if this is the case in your life, I pray you're going to be encouraged, that you'll be encouraged and reminded that the good shepherd, his grace and his mercy is being extended to you today through the preaching of the word and the wooing of the Holy Spirit, that you might be retrieved and restoration might be yours. Oh, may we heed the words of our Lord here in verse number five when he says, remember from whence thou art falling. By the way, turn with me to Psalm 51. Some of you smart folk are going to know what I'm going to point out, but the reality is David knew this as well, right? I told you David was a man after God's own heart, but he had made some self-destructive decisions. And when we get to Psalm 51, we have his penitent prayer here. But this is following a time that David had been convinced by the Holy Spirit of his own sinful decisions that had strained his relationship with the Lord. And, and he too, like the church at Ephesus, had been reminded of a time that he was walking with the Lord before he made these self-destructive choices with Bathsheba. Look at verse number 1 in Psalm 51. He says, have mercy upon me, O God. You know that's a good place to start. You know, a lot of people say, well, I know at the end of service you're going to have an invitation. You're old school. You're going to open up the altar, and I'm going to sit here, and I'm going to clench this pew as if it was a lifeline to me. Can I tell you, if you're in need of retrieval or restoration, you know a good place to start is have mercy upon me, O Lord. Amen. God, have mercy on me. I'm, uh, today, I'm not what I once was. Something has changed in my life. I've gotten my focus off of you. I've, got it, I, I've, I've put my eyes on something else. I've set my affections on something other than in you. Oh, Lord, have mercy on me. This is what David said. Look at verse number one. Have mercy upon me, O God, according. He says, here's, here's how I know I can get the mercy. He says, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies. He says, blot out my, very personal pronoun there, my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Notice verse three, for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Now drop down to verse number 10. Because he continues by asking the Lord, he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Look at verse 12. Restore. That's the same exact word, shove, that you find in Psalm 23, verse number 3. Remember, it, 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 it tells us to turn me back, to turn me back, return me to my starting point. This is what David says. He says, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. You know, you know, on September 16, 1980, I got really excited. I got real excited. I was sitting down in the second or third row. I can't remember where it was, somewhere around where Rosalie or Darren was. Not in this church, but a church very similar. In this six-foot-five giant, similar, looked like Travis. Big old tall drink of water was laying down. I mean, the pulpit came to his waist. He was this big tall guy. I was like, man, that, that guy's super, super tall. I don't remember what he said other than I was headed for an eternity separated from God. And I knew that I needed Jesus. 
And the word of God and the spirit of God brought me to that point. And I said, yes, Lord, to your will and to your way. I need you to come into my life. Can I be honest with you? There have been days in my life where the excitement that I had on September the 16th has not been like it was that night. And that's what David was saying. He said, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Look, and he says, and uphold me with thy free spirit. David remembered the joy that he had once known, realizing that he was nowhere close to where he had been before. He calls on the Lord to do what he knew that he could not do for himself. Oh, folks, that's what the shepherd does. The shepherd who owns us, he leads us in, 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 into rest and refreshment and righteousness, but he restores us by going after us and retrieving us when we wander. And we ought to say thank you, Lord, for a shepherd who does that. But he also revives us when we waver. Sometimes, as I mentioned earlier, we wander, and then we waver based on decisions that we make, destructive decisions that we make. But sometimes, let's just be honest, we got a lot of people who have been facing uh, health crises in their life. A lot of people who have faced the loss of loved ones and the loss of friends in their life. And, and if we're not careful, what happens is, is the circumstances of life, just the regular old day-to-day -day mundane junk of life gets us down and if we're not careful we have a tendency as sheep who are prone to wander prone to leave the God we love we are prone to fall flat on our back David experienced this defeat and frustration in his life as well in fact in Psalm 42 in verse number 11 notice David said why art thou cast down Oh, my soul, and why art thou disquieted within me? And then he says these words, hope thou in God. Listen, having been a shepherd, David was intimately acquainted with sheep. And so he could fully appreciate the illustration of what he was saying. Why art thou cast down, oh, my soul? Because this phrase cast is a familiar term in the world of shepherds and sheep. And it speaks of a sheep or a lamb that is not simply lying down uh, as if the Lord had made them to lie down in green pastures. It speaks of a sheep who is rolled or been cast over, watch this, to its back. Ever felt like you were flat on your back? Legs kicking. You ever, you ever, you ever see a, a bug when a bug gets flipped over on its back? Those legs just go to town. You say, how do I know? Because I've seen a few around here. <laughs> Not you, of course. A lot of bugs out there. Typically, in a sheep's life, a sheep can become cast. Watch this. When their fleece gets too long, which shows me a little bit of a dereliction of duty on the shepherd. Or... When a sheep grazes too long, which again would point to dereliction of that shepherd, allowing the sheep just to graze and to graze and to graze. Get ready to pick up what's getting ready to be thrown down here. Also, a sheep can be cast over onto their back when she is pregnant with many little lambs because of the weight. Typically, in each scenario... Carrying too much weight leads to the problem of being cast. Hang on with me. I'm getting ready to throw something down here. When we carry too much weight, the world, the flesh, and the devil, when we are encumbered by this, that, and the other, instead of setting our affection on things above, we can become cast like a sheep. And here's what happens when the sheep Literally, when, when the center of gravity in the body of a sheep shifts, the sheep turns over and they're on their back and they become helpless and unable to get back up. You say, I don't know if I believe that. Well, you can look it up. 
Because what happens when they get on their back, the gases in their system build up and they start to excrete gases in the rumen, R-U-M-E-N, or the first stomach. And when those gases start to expand inside of the sheep, here's what happens. The blood flow, the circulation to the extremities, i.e. the legs, is severely limited and in some cases cut off. Now, a further little fun fact for you is that depending on the weather, when this happens, if it is hot outside, the sheep will die within a few hours of time. If the shepherd, watch it, if the shepherd does not intervene, David said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters, right? He gets over here to verse number three. He restoreth my soul. When I fall down, and I'm cast down. Oh, my soul, why am I cast down? Why is it disquieted within me? When I'm on my back and, and the circulation has been cut off and I'm kicking my legs and nothing else will happen, Lord, that's when I need you to restore my soul. Listen to this. Philip Keller, in his 1970 book, yes, young people, they wrote books back in the 70s, he said this in his book, a shepherd looks at Psalm 23. Here's, now, Philip Keller was a shepherd himself. Notice he said, a cast sheep is a very pathetic sight. Lying on its back, its feet in the air, it flails away frantically, struggling to stand up with success. Sometimes it will bleed a little for help, but generally it lies there lashing about in frightened frustration. If the owner or shepherd does not arrive on the scene and attend to the sheep within a reasonable short time, the sheep will die. And when you and I allow ourselves to be encumbered by things in the world, the flesh and the devil, if we are not careful, we're setting ourselves up for problems, especially if you have no shepherd. But for the believer, the beautiful picture is when we do this, when we wander from the God we love, when we somehow think that we need to handle everything in life and we end up casting ourselves over on our back, helpless and unable to get back up and reestablish our going, we have a good shepherd. And Philip Keller in his book, he explained how a shepherd actually restores the cast sheep. Notice this, he said that the sheep, when it's lying on its back, the shepherd has to begin by reaching down and starts to rub and to massage the, the sheep's legs to start getting movement going back in the legs. And he continues to do this and he continues to rub and, and to kind of massage the lamb. And then it said that the shepherd, he's straddling over the sheep. He rolls the lamb over and then he continues this rubbing process. And then watch this, the shepherd has to pick up the lamb. And then the shepherd, gently while rubbing the legs, continues like this to get the lamb to start taking a few steps until it is able to join the rest of the sheep and to continue its journey. This is the idea. This idea and more is what is summed up in verse number three when David says, He... The Lord, my shepherd, he restoreth my soul. Oh, when the circumstances of life or even our bad choices knock us flat on our back, our shepherd revives us by rolling us over, restoring the blood flow and reestablishing our ability to walk, which, which results, quite honestly, not only in revival, but it results in restoration. And the interesting thing is he does this in various methods. Just a couple of examples and I'll close. He did this with Asaph. Turn with me to Psalm 73. Very quickly, he did this with Asaph. Now, does anybody remember Asaph, what he is? He's a worship leader. He's the worship leader for God's people. And Asaph had become disoriented by injustice. Hello, 2023. Anybody disoriented by injustice? Well, that's the way Asaph felt. He's disoriented. In fact, when you get over to Psalm 73, I'll join you and look at verse number 1. 
In verse number one, he says, Truly God is good to Israel, even to such that are of a clean heart. Watch, it changes very quickly. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped, for I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And throughout the psalm, and we don't have time to go there, but throughout this psalm, he continues to describe the prosperity of the ungodly person. And he concludes that his heart had been cleansed in, uh, uh, cleansed in vain. But look at how restoration begins. Drop down to verse number 16. Because in verse number 16, notice it says, When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me until. Hold on, think about it. What was his job? He's the worship leader for God's people. Watch. He says, when I thought to know this, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their end. Asaph was, a sense, in a sense, revived and restored by pressing on in the ministry that God had called him to serve in. God said, guess what? Just keep doing what I've asked you to do. And he brought about restoration and revival in Asaph's life. Until I went to the sanctuary, until I got back to doing what I was supposed to be doing, I thought around, I started looking. See, sometimes we get so disoriented by injustice, we want to look at this one, that one, and the other one, instead of looking at Jesus. Oh, just keep our eyes on Jesus, and he'll bring about the restoration we need. In 1 Kings, we read about the prophet Elijah, and you read about the victory that he had there on Mount Carmel. You remember the story, many of you, but... I can tell you this, Elijah had been drained by conflict. Conflict over and over and God shows up, you know the story, in a miraculous way on Mount Carmel and, and uh, the reality is that immediately after this miraculous, this, this God uh, moment in Elijah's life, Elijah wavers. His faith is weakened, he wavers. You say, well, what happened to Elijah? Well... Once he received a death threat from the wicked uh, Jezebel, he thought he was all alone. He thought he was all alone and that all hope was lost. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever felt all alone? Have you ever felt like all hope was lost? You're drained with conflict day in and day out. Conflict in the home, conflict in the workplace, conflict in the marketplace, conflict in the news. And you're just drained. You're, you're, you're wondering, is there really any hope? Elijah felt this way. In fact, it got so bad in Elijah's life. 1 Kings 19, verse number 4. Notice it says, But he himself went a day's journey in the wilderness and came and sat under the juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die. He was so drained. He was so over it all. He said, God, just... Just take me out. I'm all alone. And there's no help. There's no one to fight the battle with me anymore. I'm just tired. Maybe you're feeling a little tired this morning. The reality is, if you know the rest of the story, the Lord sends an angel twice. And the angel comes and says, hey, wake up. You need to eat. The Lord sent me to refresh you. Now go back to sleep. Get some more rest, Elijah. Pat him on the head and Elijah went to sleep. Then the angel comes back and says, get back up. Time for some refreshing. You got you to eat, my man. Go back to rest. You see, the Lord brought restoration in Elijah's life through rest and refreshment. In Paul's life, we read about how he had become depleted by the demands of his life and the, and the reality of his responsibilities. And you think about the enormous task that the Apostle Paul had. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 16, it records one point that Paul says, and who is sufficient for these things? Who's going to take care of these things? By the time you get over to chapter 7, notice Paul writes these words. He says, for when we were coming to Macedonia, Macedonia our flesh had no rest. But we were troubled, watch what he says, we were troubled on every side. Without were fightings and within fears. Have you ever had a fearful time in your life? You ever felt like struggles are going on outside? You got fear raging on the inside? What am I to do? I'm depleted. I have no energy. I have no wherewithal to continue to go. 
But just like our great shepherd, notice what happens in verse 6. Because God revives Paul with the gift of a faithful friend. Verse 6 tells us, Nevertheless, God that comforteth those that are cast down. There's that word. Those that are cast down, lying on their back. He comforted us by the coming of Titus. Oh, a good friend brought to Paul's life. Oh, in each of these cases, they all wandered. But in each of these cases, they were all wonderfully restored by the shepherd. Because the good shepherd knows how to restore Every one of us. And he does it in different ways. When we're disobedient, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 6 says, hey, uh, uh, that God's going to discipline and correct us. Right? Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. He corrects us because he loves us. Right? And so when we're disobedient, that's what he does. When we're disappointed by the outcomes of life, Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9 tells us to uh, be not weary in well-doing. For in due season we'll reap if we just faint not. Just continue, continue, continue. And when we're disheartened by suffering. Now here I just want us to stop and think about this because a lot of our church members are going through suffering right now. Some are coming out of chemotherapy. Some are going into chemotherapy. Some are coming out of surgeries. Some are going into surgeries. Some aren't even healthy enough to have surgery. But here, when we are disheartened by suffering, here's what God's word tells us in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 3 by Saying, consider him. Consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Consider him, the one who went and died on the cross for us. When you feel bad, when you're disheartened by the suffering that's going on in your lives, understand that your great shepherd suffered long ago before you and I ever knew what suffering was about. Oh, what a Savior we serve. Oh, as his people and the sheep of his pastor, we can take comfort knowing that he is the one who will restore our soul and we can do nothing. It is the Lord. We can do nothing. It is the Lord, our shepherd, who does this for his sheep. And as we said last week, he does this for his name's sake. It's God's restoration that explains you and I continuing in the faith. And it's God's restoration that guarantees our glorious arrival in glory one day. You'll not know this hymn other unless you're a music person. The hymn is entitled, The King of Love, My Shepherd Is. It's written about the 23rd Psalm. There's six verses. The hymn book only includes five. I'm only going to read verse number three. Notice, perverse and foolish oft I strayed, but yet in love he sought me. And on his shoulder gently laid, and home rejoicing brought me. Are you in need of restoration this morning? Because the shepherd has been speaking to us through his word this morning. He retrieves us when we wander. He revives us when we waver and feel weak. Maybe you're here and you say, you know what? <laughs> I fall into the category of wandering. <laughs> well, the reality is, Jesus said, remember from whence thou comest. But he didn't stop there. He said, repent and do thy first works. Not just remember, but you have a part. Turn away from what you're doing and go back. I'm trying to restore you. I'm trying to bring you back to the starting point, but you have a part to play here. Repent and do the first works. Maybe you feel cast down. Maybe you feel like, I'm on my back. I can't roll over. I've let life get me down. I've allowed myself to focus on things that I shouldn't focus on. I got news for you. Through his word, I can assure you that right now, through the word of God and the spirit of God, the shepherd is trying, he's rubbing those limbs. He's getting your circulation going. He's setting you over. He's lifting you up. And he wants to establish 
you're going again. What will your answer be? What will your answer be? Wandering, wavering, weakened. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness, right? We talked about all that last week, but today, this message is simply, He restoreth my soul. I'm going to beg you, right now, if you have never called out upon the name of the Lord, to have all the benefits of the shepherd, you must first know Him as your own shepherd. Call upon the name of the Lord for the forgiveness of sin. If you're here and you, look, come on. If we would just cut out all the bull and just be honest with God and be honest with ourselves, that's what Jesus was telling to the church at Ephesus. Hey, it's time for an honest evaluation of where you are. And if you've wandered, that's nothing new under the sun. Others have wandered before you and others will wander after you, but I am the good shepherd. I'm here to restore your soul. Remember from whence thou art come. Repent and do thy first works. Come back. If you're flat on your back, don't fight it. Don't fight it. The shepherd's trying to restore your going today. I pray that you'll take time to do business with the Lord. Maybe you just want to come and pray and praise God for his goodness. Certainly there's a lot to praise him about. But whatever your need is, you come as the Lord leads you. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the promise of restoration. Restoration when we wander, restoration when we waver, and when we feel weak, Lord, to know that we can do nothing but because of the fact that you own us, we shall not want. You will restore us because that's what a good, that's what the great, that's what the chief shepherd of our soul does. And so, Lord, I pray now as we just enter into a quiet time, where we just, let's just have the instrumental music playing. No one, no one looking around. Just have a time of, of prayer, and then we're going to open up this altar where we, just, where we just have a time of prayer. And God, that you will do what only you can do. Father, we love you. We thank you for this message that you have laid before us. God, I pray that we will take it to heart, that we will make use, that we will apply what you have taught us this very moment, Lord, and that you will receive the honor and the glory from it. For it's in the precious name of Jesus we pray, and for his sake, amen.